0: Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison and surrounding communities. I'm Susie Tatone, a member of the Free Congregation of Salt County. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on work possible.
1: Hi, I'm William Rogoberg, a member of AFSCME. Today, we bring you an update on the ongoing UAW strike, we celebrate a contract for workers at Oakwood Village, learn about preparations for the upcoming OPEIU Solidarity Rally, discuss OSHA's crackdown on dishonest bosses, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio.
2: But who
0: Workers at Oakwood Village in Madison have a new contract. Greg Jaboski has more.
3: Yesterday evening, Thursday, October 26th, after months of negotiations, the workers of SEIU Wisconsin signed a new contract with the management of Oakwood Village, a retirement community and assisted living facility in Madison. The agreement will run from November 1st of this year through August 31st, 2025. Labor Radio spoke today to Elena Price, a communications specialist at SEIU Wisconsin, who gave some highlights of the new contract.
2: We won an average of an 8% wage increase in 2024 for all the workers and a 4.25% increase in 2025. There is a the transparency in wage rate for the new hires. Their old CEO took away their court's health insurance and opted in for like a private plan that was really inconvenient for the workers. So we are returning to the court's health insurance plan that they had previously with an HRA contribution. We're also making changes in the attendance policy that allows the workers a little bit more flexibility. We added MLK and Juneteenth as paid holidays for all of them. They will have extra PTO days, extra money for picking up open shifts. So if a worker picks up a shift with less than a 24-hour notice, they will have $5 an hour added. They pick up a shift more than 24 hours in advance, less $3 an hour added.
3: Price believes a change in Oakwood management may have spurred negotiations.
2: I think it was hard for a lot of the workers there because of the CEO who was in for a short period of time. He has been since fired But we're hoping that with this new contract, yeah, we're really excited for all these new changes.
3: There was Elena Price of SEIU Wisconsin. Workers represented by SEIU Wisconsin yesterday signed a new contract with the Oakwood Village Retirement Facility in Madison. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski.
1: The Service Employees International Union, or SEIU, and other allied community groups held a rally at the Capitol building in Madison on Tuesday, October 24th to demand fair legislative maps and to oppose Senate Bill 488, legislation that Republicans have put forward that union members claim would only serve to keep power in the hands of state Republicans.
4: What do we want? CIU members and supporters marched into the Capitol Rotunda with signs and chants demanding fair maps and a fair process for creating those maps. Union and community leaders spoke to the crowd about the need for fair maps so that all Wisconsin people can have a voice in our state government. Labor Radio spoke to one of those leaders, Wisconsin SEIU President Pat Rays. We are out rallying because the Republicans have promoted the State Bill 488, which was quickly written and is a workaround. The Supreme Court, and we feel that it is a sham bill that should not be supported by anybody. You know, I'm a nurse, I work in the Madison community, I am here with hundreds of members from all over the state. The workers voice needs to be heard. We all voted so that the Supreme Court could make decisions appropriately and we voted so that workers' rights could be identified and move forward. Gerrymandered maps do not help working people, pure and simply. We have to have fair maps and we are going to continue to fight until we get fair maps. The crowd then marched up the stairs to the Senate chambers, where they again voiced their demands for fair maps and their opposition to SB 488, a bill they deemed fake and a sham. A small number of people entered the office of Republican leader Robin Voss and delivered their message to one of his aides as Robin Voss was not present. Anthol Ferrar, SEIU Wisconsin Vice President, delivered the statement.
5: We gathered with hundreds of SEIU Wisconsin members and communities, allies, because we're deeply concerned about the State Bill 488. It's crucial that the working people of Wisconsin's voices and concerns are loud and clear. SB 488 is nothing more than a sham bill designed to create confusion. And delay the process for fair maps for voters of Wisconsin. We're here today to demand that both the House and Senate leadership end this charter and allow the duly elected Wisconsin Supreme Court to take the necessary steps to create a fair map for all Wisconsin voters. We are urging lawmakers to stand with us and vote no on this bill. What we need are non-partisan maps that place the faith of the in the hands of the people, not the politicians. Our call is that our electoral leaders allow the courts to do their job and create maps that respect the voters and the voices of hardworking people who form the backbone of this great state. Wisconsin deserves a democracy that truly reflects its diverse and vibrant population together we can make our voices heard, and together we demand a future where working people come first. Let's stand and declare that SB 488 is nothing more than a sham, and is not the path we want for our state, and we deserve better, and we demand better.
4: Folks at the rally had a final message for those legislators refusing to listen to their demands. Thanks to Greg Jaboski for his help in recording some of these segments. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Labor Radio.
0: another news-filled week in the UAW strike against the big three automakers, a tentative agreement with one company, and an expanded strike with the other two. Greg Jabowski reports.
6: I'm excited and honored to be joined today by Vice President Chuck Browning as we announce a major victory in the stand-up strike. Today, we reached a tentative agreement with Ford. Our stand-up strike has delivered. It was another big week
3: in the stand-up strike, the rolling strike, conducted by the United Auto Workers against the big three automakers, Ford, GM, and Stellantis, the former Fiat Chrysler. That was UAW President Sean Fain, who instead of sitting alone in his weekly Facebook Live broadcast, was joined by Chuck Browning, the chief UAW negotiator in the just-announced Ford deal. Fain then went on to discuss two earlier strike increases, announced Monday and Tuesday against GM and Stellantis, that he explicitly claimed led to the Ford Agreement.
6: On Monday, we called on our UAW family at Sterling Heights Assembly to stand up. That is Stellanus' biggest and most profitable plant. On Tuesday, our UAW family at Arlington Assembly answered the call, and they went out on strike, shutting down GM's biggest and most profitable plant. Ford knew what was coming for them on Wednesday if we didn't get a deal. That was checkmate. On day 40 of the stand-up strike, we reached a historic agreement. According to the union, among
3: the gains of the agreement with Ford, the UAW announced on Wednesday a 25% general wage increase, claiming over a 30% wage increase for some as negotiated cost of living adjustments are added in. The union also announced a 68% wage increase for new hires, with raises for so called temporary workers rising over 150% over the life of the contract, a move the union says will undercut the tier system. They announced the end of the tier system entirely at two plants, announced the return to pre 2009 cost of living adjustments, the return of pension multipliers, bonuses for current retirees, and the union claimed job security gains for the industry's move away from the internal combustion engine, along with other benefits. The Ford Agreement is hardly a done deal. Fain on Wednesday outlined the upcoming steps that need to take place before a final contract is ratified.
6: Next, your elected leadership in the UAW National Ford Council is going to come to Detroit on Sunday, October 29th they will vote on whether to send the agreement to the membership. If the council votes to approve the agreement, then that evening, we will be hosting a special Facebook Live with all of you to go through the deal in detail. Following the council vote and the Facebook Live, we'll hold regional meetings to walk through the agreement with local leadership. And then locals will hold informational meetings to get your questions answered. After that, It'll be up to the members to vote on the deal.
3: Here's UAW Vice President Chuck Browning, sitting next to Fein on Wednesday, on the significance of the Ford
1: deal. We have won the most lucrative agreement per member since Walter Ruther was president. Between wage increases, COLA, annual bonuses to retirees, and other economic gains, there is more value for our members in each individual year of this agreement than the entirety of the 2019
3: agreement. The presence of Vice President Browning may be more significant than anything he actually said. Browning was considered part of the old guard, one of the few to stay in high union office after Fain won a close and bitter union election. The first were members directly elected a UAW president. The 2019 contract that Browning castigated on Wednesday, after all, was negotiated by people who he was working with in Solidarity House. And only coming details will make clear how far the UAW deal with Ford has met the high expectations that the new UAW leadership under Fain has promised to the rank and file. Browning's claim that this agreement is the best since Walter Ruther led the UAW is probably true it is also a low bar. Given auto industry profits on top of years of stagnant wages, some workers were expecting much more than the announced 25% increase. It shortens the tier system so that no worker remains in the lowest tier beyond the life of a contract, but does not end the tiering system entirely. It also leaves unclear just how much power the union will have in stopping plant closings and keeping the auto companies creating a non-union auto sector as automobile technology has drastically changed. In the end, Fain's toughest negotiations may not be with auto industry management, but with a fired-up rank-and-file whose militancy and high expectations are due in no small part to the public stance of the Sean Fane UAW presidency. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jaboski.
1: Organized around ameliorating unsatisfactory workplace conditions, employees in the video game industry have led a wave of recent unionizations among tech industry workers in the United States. This month, a company based in Milwaukee joined that wave. Labor Radio has more.
7: Workers at Xperis Game Solutions, a support developer for video game companies, announced their intention to unionize with District 10 of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, filing a petition for a union election with the National Labor Relations Board on October 20th. Approximately 42 test associates and software test engineers who work at the Milwaukee, Wisconsin location cited serious workplace problems that they want to see addressed through collective bargaining. The workers at Experis, who are responsible for quality assurance and troubleshooting of newly developed video games, say they face a multitude of chronic industry-wide issues and seek improvements in several areas, including pay and workplace health and safety issues. Other problems that Xperis workers want addressed by management are the frequency of misleading information provided by job recruiters and the lack of clear communications channels to address workplace issues. Xperis has already drawn the scrutiny of the National Labor Relations Board this year, According to the NLRB docket, the company has been under active investigation for violations of Section 8A1 of the National Labor Relations Act since July. The complaint was filed by an individual employee at a Bellevue, Washington office operated by the same parent company. It is no surprise then that a statement released by IAMAW District 10 explicitly noted that the upcoming Xperis campaign will be informed by the recent Semex precedent set by the NLRB quote, the workers at Experis are excited to participate in a union election free from employer-induced fear, intimidation, and misinformation that is so commonly a part of an anti-union campaign, end quote. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup.
0: Workers at Meritor Hospital met for lunch yesterday to talk about what they want in a new contract ahead of bargaining. Greg Jabowski has more.
3: Yesterday, Thursday afternoon, SEIU Wisconsin was to hold a lunchtime rally on Mound Street by Meritor Hospital in Madison, ahead of the negotiations for a new contract for service and support personnel at Meritor who are represented by SEIU. The current contract ends in March 2024. But then the skies opened up and the rally was canceled. But a lunch truck was there, serving tacos to workers, and people stood under tents talking union with fellow workers who had braved the rain. This will not be the first union contract negotiation for worker Kim Marie Brockoff, who has been in SEIU for 35 years. She explains why she has remained involved in the union and the bargaining process.
2: Every two to four years, we sit down and talk about our pay, our insurance, and it's all good to help. Both the hospital and us as a group to unite and try to figure out what's best for all of us. Sometimes it doesn't always work and we're going back and
6: forth, but in the long run, we need to have this so that we have a voice.
3: The union has not selected a bargaining committee for the upcoming contract yet, but service and support worker Mike McLaughlin, who is on the bargaining committee for the current contract, gave a general idea about the next bargaining committee we'll be looking for.
1: Uh, what we would be looking for would be essentially to keep our, you know, keep what we have, keep the momentum we have going, keep our successes going, get our our voice out there, get you know something that's fair and equitable across the board that benefits every union member, which indirectly has a benefit to the remaining people in the hospital. Sorry, folks, people in the hospital that are not union members as well. So. David Ott,
3: another SEIU Wisconsin worker who stood in the taco line in the rain, talked about the importance of keeping the union strong.
7: I think it's very important that all workers have the right to bargain and that we have rights in the workplace so that we have a safe environment to work in so that the CEOs can't make us work 12 hour shifts or 16 hour shifts. We don't get adequate breaks, just safe environment. It's just super important that we have a union and we have a right to have a union and that all of us members can be a part of something. There was David
3: Ott, a member of SEIU Wisconsin, speaking yesterday outside of Meritor Hospital where SEIU Wisconsin kept a lunch and information session going in the rain ahead of the opening of new contract negotiations. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky.
1: Working conditions at CVS and Walgreens pharmacies in Wisconsin and around the United States are on life support. Pharmacists and pharmacy technicians are sounding the alarm about continued severe understaffing combined with increased workloads, including administering vaccinations. The fault lines began to appear during COVID, but conditions have deteriorated recently to the point that these non-unionized employees have organized walkouts at CBS pharmacies in Kansas City in September and at a number of Walgreens pharmacies throughout the country in October. Multiple reports indicate that pharmacists are overwhelmed and worry that the unsustainable workloads will lead to mistakes which could result in death or serious injury. Leaders at these corporate pharmacies would be wise to listen to their frontline workers. Better staffing, better pay, less emphasis on non-prescription services, and a seat at the table for all of the above. It sounds like pharmacy workers need to unionize.
0: Managers that hide safety violations and lie about it after workers are killed will be criminally prosecuted.
8: Carol Weidel has the story. A federal jury in Madison convicted current and former Didion Milling officials of workplace safety and environmental violations. In addition, fraud and obstruction of justice charges followed the deadly explosion in 2017 at a corn mill that Didion Milling operated in Cambria, Wisconsin. The explosion killed five workers and seriously injured others. The jury also convicted Didion Milling Vice President of Operations, Derek Clark, of conspiring to falsify documents and making false Clean Air Act compliance certifications. He also obstructed the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA's, investigation of the explosion at the corn mill by making false and misleading statements during a deposition. In addition, the jury convicted former Didion Milling Food Safety Superintendent Sean Messner of participating in a fraud conspiracy against Didion Milling's customers. He also conspired to obstruct and mislead OSHA for his role in falsifying sanitation records used at Didion to track the completion of cleanings designed to remove the accumulation of corn dust of the mill. Assistant Attorney General Todd Kim Of the Justice Department said, The trial and convictions in this case show that compliance matters and attempting to hide non compliance is not just a technical violation. Managers and officers who enable corporate cultures that tolerate, encourage, or cover up violations and who participated in falsifying documents and obstructing agency investigations will and must be held accountable in addition to the corporations. David Yulman of the Environmental Protection Agency's Office of Enforcement and Compliance Assurance said the following, The tragic loss of life in this case shows the terrible consequences that can result when companies fail to implement required health, safety, and environmental measures. The convictions of Didion Milling senior managers sends a clear message that EPA and our law enforcement partners will investigate and prosecute companies that put profits above the health and safety of their workers. OSHA Administrator Bill Donovan said, "Derek Clark and Sean Messner chose to intentionally mislead OSHA investigators and made false statements about their knowledge of working conditions at the plant to protect themselves and to cover their mistakes. Their blatant actions demonstrated a callous disregard for the loss of life, injuries, and property damage that occurred under their leadership at the Didion Mill. Both Clark and Messner ignored their legal and moral obligation to protect workers before and after the explosion. OSHA is committed to taking all necessary action to hold employers responsible for protecting workers on the job. Grain dust can be explosive, and OSHA safety standards require grain milling facilities like the Didion Milling Corn Mill to develop and implement housekeeping programs. These include regular cleanings to reduce corn dust accumulation. Didion Milling maintained its master sanitation schedule to record the performance of required cleanings. The jury convicted Clark and Messner for participating in a conspiracy to falsify the cleaning log, including directing others to backfill entries for uncompleted cleanings. Federal law gives OSHA six months to gather facts and issue appropriate citations after a safety violation occurs. In matters involving worker deaths, evidence that corporate managers knew about violations can result in an issuance of a willful citation and a criminal referral. OSHA subpoenaed Clark's testimony in September 2017 during the corn mill explosion fatality investigation. Clark gave false and misleading testimony about his knowledge of problems with the dust collection system at Didion's Corn Mill, his knowledge of explosion hazards, and his knowledge of prior fires at the facility. Additionally, the Clean Air Act issued a permit that required Didion Milling to operate bag house equipment to limit the release of particulate matter, like corn dust, into the environment. The permit also required that a senior manager with authority to periodically certify the mill's compliance with air pollution control permit conditions and disclose known permit violations. Clark falsely certified Didion's compliance. Didion previously pleaded guilty to falsifying the cleaning logs and baghouse logs at the mill and agreed to pay a criminal fine of $1 million dollars. And a restitution of 10 and a quarter million to the victims of the 2017 explosion. Didion Milling shift superintendents Nicholas Booker, Michael Bright, and Joel Niemeyer previously pleaded guilty to false statement charges for participating in the falsification of cleaning logs and baghouse logs. Didion and Milling shift superintendent Anthony Hess pleaded guilty to obstructing OSHA by making false and misleading statements about the accuracy of the cleaning log during a sworn statement taken as part of OSHA's investigation into the mill explosion. Former Didion milling manager Joseph Winch previously pleaded guilty to conspiracy to conceal environmental violations from regulators by falsifying compliance certifications and providing falsified logs to regulators sentencing hearings for each of the defendants before U.S. District Court Judge James D. Peterson will be scheduled at a later date. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. At noon tomorrow, Saturday,
0: October 28th, OPEIU, the Office and Professional Employees International Union, and their allies will be creating signs and buttons to prepare for the following Saturday's Solidarity Rally. The location for the preparation event is the OPEIU Local 39 office on the second floor of 709 Watson Avenue, south of the Beltline Highway. This is a family event, and all union and community members are welcome. Next Saturday's Solidarity March and Rally is sponsored by the OPEIU, SEIU, UFCW, Workers United, and the South Central Federation of Labor. Tomorrow's preparation event is from noon to 2 o'clock, At 701 Watson
1: Avenue. When it comes to rail safety, Wisconsin is an outlier in that it has done nothing compared to other states. Lawmakers in 19 states have introduced rail safety measures in 2023. Five of those states Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Ohio, and Utah have enacted legislation. The bills in those states have called for provisions such as mandatory train crew size, limits on train length, required wayside or hot box detectors, the creation of grade separations, and the development of comprehensive emergency response plans. Meanwhile, Colorado Newsline reports that lawmakers in a 20th state, Colorado, are likely to consider a bill next year that would call for new rail safety guidelines aimed at reducing the risk of derailments and hazardous material spills. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm William Rogerberg. Thanks to editor Frank Emsbach, assistant Robin G., reporters Greg Jabosky, Sean Hagrup, Janine Ramsey, Carol Weidel, and damage control specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our Reader Coordinator, Junior Listener Consultants Maggie and Anthony in Cross Plains, and the members of the IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective.
0: And I'm Susie Tatone. We also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for The Blues Cruise with Dave Watts and the professor, Bill Clark.